This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This podcast is part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club, a program designed to help all podcasts reach their full potential. For information about joining the Robots Radio Rocket Club, check out robotsradio.net. And welcome to the MCU Lorecast. I'm Captain Shanko. And I'm Psych88. And welcome to Season 4. Yeah, this is, um, we're leaving some not-so-good times and entering some kinda good times. This was a fun one. Yes, um, I, Ant-Man, I mean, the entire premise is, you know, almost silly in its own right, you know, but they, they really managed to make what would seem off the wall and and somewhat nonsensical for something as grand as the MCU had become at this point really still fit in. It's not, you know, I'm not going to say it's probably in anyone's top 10 uh for for anything, but it it holds its own and it, it, it's still pretty good. Uh you forgot you really couldn't have your young children watch it, but you know, that's that's on me. <laughs> Yeah, parental uh, parental advisory is the, is definitely recommended when Paul Rudd is your leading man. Uh, but with that being said, uh, of course we are talking about a movie and the specifics of that movie. So of course we have to have our spoiler warning. So Genesis, if you're looking for a spoiler free zone, sorry, lovelies, you are in the wrong place. Thank you, Jen. So I say we jump right into all of action because where are we beginning but in the past woof i mean it was a joke while we were making it about the bad ones but it's still a thing we just still just open the movie with flashbacks definitely so it's the late 80s and we see a mm, very flat hank pym i thought the the CGI, uh, the CGI de-ager on this was pretty good, actually. Like, that's Michael Douglas, like, almost in his prime there. Yeah, it's definitely better than Flat Nito. Sure. <laughs> well, that's not a high bar. <laughs> yeah, the bar was set pretty low. CGI aside, it's not the worst that we've seen in the MCU. And it's not the worst that we are going to continue to see down the line. I wish that I was joking. But we are at S.H.I.E.L.D., and our guy Hank Pym has discovered that they're trying to duplicate his Ant-Man shrinking technology, so he resigns from his position because he believes that it's too dangerous and thinks that he should hide this technology away. Because that's, that's the smart thing to do with the dangerous technology that the world wants. Just try to hide it. They're totally going to stop trying to replicate the thing. 
Well, they can't replicate data they don't have, so when he leaves, he took or destroyed everything that he had been working on. And then he went on to... In in the present day, he's got his big company, and as such, he's got the estranged daughter, because through building the company and being a successful scientist doesn't leave him much time to dote on his daughter Hope. She's buddy-buddy with his former protege, Darren Cross, because uh, he's totally not the bad guy with that smarmy attitude right off, right off rip. <laughs> no. Darren and Hope are getting Hank written out of his own company, and Pim is uh, a little put out by this, because Darren is on the cusp of perfecting the shrinking technology that Hank has been trying to hide from the world and is going to become the Yellow Jacket, a much more sinister version of Pym's Ant-Man, which is pretty terrifying to Hank. I mean, I would be horrified too if someone took something that I considered pretty benign and was like, okay, I'm going to weaponize the heck out of this. Um, You know, almost Tony Stark Iron Man, this thing, but it can also shrink down and just laser someone's brain from their ear canal or something like that's pretty that's pretty bad Mm-hmm. yeah so now that our drama has been established we've got to meet our well-meaning idiotic hero so who better to play this guy than paul rudd i mean better casting i could not come up with in all honesty like paul rudd nails this role for for the Scott Lang of the MCU, it is Paul Rudd. Definitely. Definitely. He owned the role. And where are we but in prison? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, he's getting out of prison. And he is getting picked up by his former cellmate, Luis. The guy with the best storytelling and narration skills in the MCU. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, oh man, just the way they, they managed to lip sync all of those other, you know, actors in those stories to what Luis is saying. So it's sort of what they're saying, it's, but it, obviously it's not. Anyway, it was just well done. The whole, that whole scene is well done. And I will say as a returning gimmick, it works. Like, it's not one that is like being a dead horse. Yeah, no, I'm never going to be upset if Luis is doing a, a story time. I, I live for it. I love it. It's always fantastic and funny, and they have timed it very well every time they've chosen to do it. So, um, now that Scott's out of jail, he does the thing that you're not supposed to do when you're sharing custody of a, a child, and he just drops in when he's when he doesn't have visitation. I get it. He's He's, he's fresh out of jail, and he's trying to be a good dad, and be there for his his daughter, and she's happy to see him. But uh, his ex-wife and her detective fiancé, not so much. Yeah. And they are not cutting him any breaks. And, you know, I I get the cop's animosity, and I get hers because technically, there's a technically, he is a burglar, he stole money, though this version of him stole money from... Uh, CEOs and, you know, passed it down to the people 
it's a sort of a Robin Hood thing, which ages perfectly well in our current society of uh, eat the rich. Mm-hmm. For the love of God, eat the rich. Yeah, but uh, Scott doesn't provide child support, and he is completely unable to hold down a job or even really get anything that's worthwhile because of his criminal record. So while, you know, losing his job at Baskin Robbins and... uh, My God, that scene is so, like, cringe. (laughs) And grabbing a free mango fruit blast on his way out. He gets the can, but his, his boss says, you know... You're really sticking it to the man, and I, I appreciate it, but, I, you, you know, you, you kind of lied about your criminal record on your job application, and we just can't have that at this lovely establishment known as Baskin Robin. And I get it. I, I understand why he lied. Yeah, he just wants to pay child support. It's a trust issue. It's a bunch of things. So, you know, it's hard to imagine had he played it honestly, would he have gotten the job? We'll never know, but more than likely the answer is going to have been... No. Mm-hmm. But now, he's stuck between rock, hard place, and a fire pit, so what's he gonna do? Yeah, so his buddy Luis tells him about this perfect, easy burglary job, and this is the kind of crap that got him locked up the first time, and he's like, okay, fine, we're gonna do this one, this one job, and so with movie hijinks and shenanigans and... Scott's excellent burgling skills. They break into the mansion, get through this crazy, uh, this crazy safe door. Um, Scott uses his knowledge of chemistry and spy techniques and using glue to get fingerprints because that somehow worked. Mo- movie shenanigans. All of that was. I mean, yeah, it's movie shenanigans, but at the same time, it's movie shenanigans that we've all been taught, so naturally it all worked. Also, it showed off his intellect, mm-hmm. that he had he had been earning his way as a, as an engineer before all this, so he, he's a very intelligent person. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, we'll talk about it later, but, you know, Pim's like, I was very impressed by the way he just took apart my vault door like that. Like, it was nothing, which is true. Yeah, and I think... You know, the the thing that he ends up finding is the Ant-Man suit, and because this was supposed to be his big job, he's like, I guess maybe I can at least sell this, whatever, and he steals the suit. Yeah, because he, he steal the, the crazy-looking suit from the crazy man's house after you've broken through his kind of ridiculous amounts of security. Because <laughs> it would just totally be a, a completely a completely harmless thing. Behind a locked vault door. Yeah, okay. Uh, you know, he's supreme intellect, but but maybe the, the... The common sense is a little lacking in him. There's a reason he's a reformed criminal, okay? This is fair. So, Lang decides to try on the suit. And accidentally has the most terrifying experience of his life. I think of anybody's lives, to be honest. <laughs> and instead of just, like, torching the thing or throwing it in, a near, in the nearest dumpster and pretending like nothing happens, because this man has escaped. Like, he, there, there's nobody after him about this break-in, nothing. Like, he's, he's pretty safe. The, the man decides to return the thing that he stole and ends up getting arrested. Yeah, when you say the common sense is lacking, you're not wrong. <laughs> no... <laughs> well, while he's uh, yeah, while he's being held in custody, uh, he starts hearing the voices 
And then some ants start acting really, really weird, and they smuggle the suit in, and the ants and Hank help him escape jail. Because, yeah, movie shenanigans. I mean, we gotta, we gotta do it somehow. You know, the hero now has to be put in a place where his options are go back into the system in, in a manner of which he knows he is utterly doomed in. Or take the biggest gamble of his life and not go to jail. Mm-hmm. What else is he gonna do? Yeah. And evidently Hank has been planning this all along because he, he, he fed the plan to Luis unknowingly through, like, his cleaning lady who whispered it to so-and-so. And we, we had the whole Luis story time spiel to tell the story of how he figured out about this place that's so perfect to break into. And anyone who could succeed in stealing the suit and taking it for a test run would be worthy of becoming the next Ant-Man because he needs a young set of legs in order to steal the yellow jacket from his former protege, Baron. Because, uh, yeah, Pym can't do it, so he's, he needed someone else. And whoever was smart enough to get in and get the suit, that was going to be the next Ant-Man. And it happened to be Lang. Mm-hmm. So he, uh, he has his daughter helping him teach... Lang how to become a superhero, and I, I just so appreciate how she kicks the crap out of him during his training sequence. <laughs> she really takes no, no crap from anyone, and I, I liked it. I liked uh, watching her teaching him how to fight, because he is he does the bumbling idiot bit very well. Though, I mean, man, he got in shape for this one. <laughs> like, dang. Yeah, like, that's that's just, like, that's just your average guy, Paul Rudd, and he got in very good shape for this role, and I remember in, in some of the, uh, like, the interviews surrounding this movie, he had said that he does not have the same genetics as Chris Evans or some of the other guys that play superheroes, so for him to even manage to get the abs was a feat in and of itself that took a lot of discipline and a lot of time and a lot of Horrible, horrible days eating nothing but boiled chicken. Yeah. Yeah, it would. Um, also, like, Scott Lang is, other than the fact he's, you know, really, really freaking smart, he's just your average guy, right? I mean, up until this moment, he was just an engineer who did a, did a crime and went to jail. He's just a guy. He's not a billionaire like Tony Stark. Uh, he's not a, a super soldier. Uh, he's not an Asgardian god. He, he's not any of these, you know, big heavy hitters. He's just a dude in a suit. And the suit's what gives him his powers. Yeah, and he's still struggling with some aspects of his training. Like, he's not fully getting down the controlling the ants part. And Hope is starting to get antsy. I'm sorry. Please <laughs> slap me for that one. That was bad. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Hope's starting to get antsy, and she makes the ants get real antsy by showing that she has superior control and ability over over the ants. And Hank reveals that he doesn't want Hope to walk down the path and, and become Ant-Man or the Wasp or whoever, because he lost his wife to that, and he doesn't want to see the same thing happen to his daughter. And... Scott and Hope end up having a little heart-to-heart, and Scott magically now can control the ants. I mean, I don't know about magically, but he understands now the motivations of both Hank and Hope. Mm-hmm. And that 
Like, operating in the dark like that, when you've got two mentors who are begrudgingly having to help each other to begin with, and he's just stuck in the middle now, mm -hmm. right? He's the third wheel between a uh, bitter daughter and um, cranky father. Mm. What, like, of course his his focus wasn't 100% or absolute. He's got too many, just too much personal drama, too much clouding his mind to allow him to grow into being Ant-Man. Mm. And you've got, so you've got Hank opening up saying, okay, look, the reason you're the guy in the suit is because I don't want my daughter dying for this. And then he needs to tell Hope that so that she gets off his butt enough to allow him to make mistakes and grow and then become the Ant-Man. Mm -hmm. And this whole tale comes about because Scott wants to mess with the regulator and him tells him that he could go subatomic, a subatomic. And that's what ended up happening to his wife. And so that that's why he's got this this worry for his daughter and and why Scott realizes that he's caught in the middle of what is at the end of the day family drama. Yeah, and that's always a great place to be. Yeah, in. when he's got his own family drama going on, he's in a great place to be in the middle of someone else's family drama. But uh, in planning their heist to steal the yellow jacket. He needs to steal a little piece of technology from the Avengers, where he fights my guy Sam Wilson. <laughs> okay, hold on, we gotta back up. It wasn't supposed to be the Avengers. This was supposed to be an easy walk into, like, a, a uh, not a closet, but, like, a storage place. Grab this thing, like an old shield bunker, grab it and leave. And, uh, in the meantime... <laughs> In the absence of S.H.I.E.L.D., the Avengers went, Oh, here's a nice place of New York real estate. Yoink! And Avengers uh, training ground was created there. Whoops. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, Scott ends up having to fight the Falcon. And they have... you know, Scott gets the better of the Falcon and then ends up stealing the piece of equipment that they need and escapes. And Scott... Er, uh, Falcon's like, oh, I'm fired. I'm so fired. <laughs> Don't tell Cap. <laughs> Don't tell Cap. Like, I just got my butt kicked by a Tic Tac. <laughs> yeah, they're not leaving me alone again. <laughs> Never. So later on, Cross has perfected his yellow jacket and is having an unveiling ceremony at Kim Technologies. And Lang and his crew end up infiltrating the building with a swarm of ants because he's mastered control over all of these different ants that Hank just kind of has on hand. I, I mean, they're ants. You have these things called ant farms, and I'm sure Hank Pym has some of the most sophisticated ant farms in the continental U.S. I might even say North America, to be honest. <laughs> Listen, Scott was running around in the front yard hanging out with the ants. <laughs> anyway, movie movie shenanigans aside, they infiltrate the building and things are somewhat going to plan, but when he attempts to steal the yellow jacket, they discover that Cross was kind of onto their plan all along and intends to sell both the yellow jacket and the Ant-Man to Hydra. Because, yeah, that's still a 
a subplot that's going on right now. I mean, you still need a big, you still needed a shadowy figure out there doing stuff. So Hydra works, even after the uh, disillusionment of uh, of Shield slash Hydra. Hydra's still out there. They've, you know, the saying, cut off one head. Yeah. Um. So while they're trying to dispatch Hydra, Cross ends up donning the yellow jacket suit in order to fight Scott. They go on this crazy battle that includes Thomas the Tank Engine. <laughs> okay, so there's, there's a little, there's a little bit between uh, Ant Man and the Yellow Jacket fighting each other and Thomas the Tank Engine, but <laughs> yeah, it, like shenanigans happen between between them at Pem Technology slash. Crosses, whatever he was trying to turn it into, I forget right now. Point is, uh, Cross decides to take this very personally, and he goes, apparently he just knows where um, Scott's ex-wife and daughter live, so he just heads over there real quick, kidnaps her. So Scott fights him in this five-year-old's bedroom, and she's got this little tank engine thing set up in the middle of her room, and like... (laughs) I love how, like, when you're in the fight, it's really serious and everything, right? And then when you step, like, away from it, like, t- the, t- the Thomas the Tank Engine just kind of just falls over. <laughs> like, it's just, it's nothing, but it's hilarious. Yeah, they did the cutaways very well. Whoever edited and cut this film together deserves a raise, because they did a great job with the comedic timing of everything. This f- final kind of long-form fight scene with Yellow Jacket and Ant Man at the end of the towards the end of this movie was just hilariously funny. It was full of really funny moments. Uh, I like the bit where they're fighting inside the briefcase and he goes, "I'm gonna disintegrate you," and the iPhone goes, "Playing Disintegration by The Cure." <laughs> yeah, yeah. All like this movie has just enough like self awareness to make the absurdity of it all funny, but still compelling. I liked when they turned the one ant gigantic and he was just a continuing gag throughout after that. <laughs> There's just this big ant running around that everyone's either terrified of or you're, you're Scott's kind of weird daughter who, like, I vibe with that. Like, I was that weird child. Um, if I had seen an ant the size of, of a wiener dog, I probably also would have been feeding it under the table. Yeah, but it's not a dog. <laughs> they gave it mannerisms of a dog, but there is absolutely nothing about that that would have been happening. <laughs> this thing would have tried to eat her. Yeah. They would have tried to eat the family and then carry it back to the queen. Definitely, but it's still funny. Ugh. Uh, yeah. But before we get to that, uh, Cross has uh, an on. <laughs> Untimely and kind of messy end. <laughs> saying, "Woof!" Like out of the villains to die, I think his is still the worst. Like out of all the villains who who bite it, e- yeah. Ew. Because so you know, Ant Man. You know, he's been told you can't mess with the regulator to to do stuff. Otherwise, you'll go too small and you can't come back. But. Cross's regulator is protected by titanium, 
which requires Scott to mess with the regulator and go subatomic to get in there and, and take out Cross. Cross's regulator malfunctions and starts shrinking parts of him in different times, and then he finally goes subatomic as well, or gone, however you want to play it. So that was that was messed up, I have to say. <laughs> yeah. Like, Ugh. anyway, so Scott's sitting there in the quantum wherever he is, and he realizes he has one last enlarging disc. And so he pops that into the regulator and makes himself come back. Superhero science! <laughs> Superhero science! I mean, you gotta love it. I mean, the entire premise of Ant-Man is a man who can control the size of his body via made-up particles. That's it. So, like, I just toss my whole, like, all of it just goes out the window. It's just a fun movie. It's just a fun character. We're going with it. Yeah, I'm ready to rock and roll with it, because you know what? You're right. This was a fun movie. This was a fun time. It was much needed Breath of Fresh Air, and it was honestly one of the ones that I don't think anyone was expecting, because when they announced Ant-Man, I was like, what the heck are they gonna... <laughs> what? Ant-Man. Okay. I mean, you know what? Fair enough. I rolled the dice on Guardians of the Galaxy 2, and... They delivered, mm -hmm. so I, I'll, I'll roll the dice on Ant-Man. And you know what? <clears throat> if someone told me that Paul Rudd was going to be the superhero sensation of the summer, I wouldn't have believed him. But who is happy to be proven wrong? Me. Heck <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway, we get a nice little mid credit scene where our girl Hope is getting introduced to her own superhero suit, and she looks into the camera and goes, it's about time. A little heavy-handed, but okay, we get it. Yeah. Like, we set up all the reasons why, you know, we were trying, like, the father is trying to protect the daughter. It's a, it's a trope. It's a trope. Don't get me wrong. But it, I felt like it was played very well. It was played very seriously. It wasn't played for any kicks or laughs. So. I'll allow it. You know. Yeah. And then, of course, our post-credits scene is our big setup for what is to come with this phase. And and they've got Bucky with his arm trapped in a hydraulic press, which I, I just, I, I really want to know how they got to that point. Because that, that means that they held him at stalemate long enough to put a hydraulic press down on his arm. But you know what? I, I guess I shouldn't, I shouldn't be arguing. And then we learn later on that the arm just detaches, so this shouldn't have been, even been a, a thing. But... <laughs> They want to reach out for help and contact Tony Stark, but they can't because of the Accords. And we're going to find out what those Accords, those pesky little Accords, are mm -hmm. later. But uh, Sam Wilson just might know someone who can help. Fade to black, and now we wait for our next film. Or, I guess, in our case, we fade to our mid-break. <laughs> nice segue. Welcome to the mid-break. Uh, we like to thank everyone that's been with us this far and are part of the Patreon. Again, a big shout-out to Penguin Ninja at our superhero tier. And you can join him and us at the end of the month by, uh, by clicking on the link that will be in the episode description and joining in at the superhero tier. 
And if you can't support us financially, you can always drop us a review on Apple or rating on Spotify. Any five-star reviews will get read out in this part of the show. We don't currently have a review at this time. Go ahead and drop those reviews, guys. We're looking forward to hearing from you. And if you just want to talk with us directly, you can always hit us up on Twitter or Instagram, Facebook, and or the Robots Radio Discord, where we have a channel specifically for the show. Uh, link for the Discord will also be in the show description. Uh, speaking of shows on robots, tell us about The Fight Space, Shenko. So I'm also a host of a show called The Fight Space. It's a show where I interview fighters, tell stories, and share a little bit about the community surrounding combat sports and the people that make up that community. So if you're interested in any of that, if you're a fan of UFC or combat sports in general, or if you're looking to learn more, check out The Fight Space. Uh, where else can we find you, Psych? You can find me on the Mass Effect Blue Shift tabletop RPG podcast. We use the Fate system to tell the story of Citadel security agents solving crime on the Citadel. I play dashing human agent Jack Parizo. Um, it's a lot of fun, and episodes drop monthly on the first Friday of the month, which at the airing of this episode will mean it'll be later this week. And that, I believe, will wrap us up for our mid-break. Alright, you know, for an origin movie, I don't have a whole lot of characters to go through. That is, that's surprising, though. Uh, I'm, yeah, especially considering how many characters were in this movie. I mean, you've got Luis and his crew. You've got uh, so many of the other, you know, named people here. But the reality is most of those have been made up for the movie or are like, okay, you've got Maggie and, uh, and Paxton, the, the ex-wife and the uh, cop fiance. They are there in the comics. They just, they, they don't show like it just doesn't affect the overall story but for the characters who do first up is hope van dyne introduced as hope pym in a next number seven in april 1999 by tom falco and ron friends the mcu version only shares the first name as the comic version comes from a future alternate timeline where the Avengers all had kids with one another and then promptly died. She took the name Red Queen and is a villain of the A-Next team, leading the Revengers. I, I wish I could... <laughs> I'm so happy I was able to get through that line without laughing because, ugh, some, like, sometimes the late 90s are just a trip in comics, I have to say. Wasn't there a line called the uh, the Avenging Spider-Man? Uh, yes, I believe so. Creativity is boundless. <laughs> I mean, comics comics are almost like a daytime TV soap opera, right? And after a while, the same old tricks are pulled. Oh no, it was the twin who had amnesia. And the original actually just went off to have a secret life for like five years and decided to come back. And oh, look, it's a surprise villain. I mean, just come on. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, so the so Hope Van Dyne is 
just wholly an MCU creation. And that's about it for the daughter of Ink Pym. Uh, the villain or is you know Darren Cross, aka Yellow Jacket, introduced in Marvel Premiere number forty-seven in April nineteen seventy-nine as Darren Cross by John Byrne, Bob Layton, and David Meshalini. Later introduced as Yellow Jacket in the Astonishing Ant-Man number twelve, September two thousand sixteen, by Nick Spencer and Brent Schoonover, which that like that connection between characters was made specifically because of this movie. Before this, he was a multi-billionaire that was good with science. He had a bad heart, and he used various technologies and a whole lot of heart transplants to stay alive, basically. Um, for his troubles, he got superhuman healing, senses, and strength with a transformation similar to the Hulk. Like, whenever he activated his powers, he, like, physically grew in size and strength and everything. He didn't turn into a rage monster, but, yeah, the, that part was there. At some time, he got Cassie Lang's heart. This is much later. And got that put into himself. She got another heart put into her, and she's fine. I, I like... I like how they're just out here acting like there's hearts just laying around willy-nilly for these people to go through. I know. I know, right? Like, it's just, yeah. That's a pre- it was a pretty dark, I'd have to say, it's a pretty dark chapter. Like, you just have hearts from people laying about, and, oh, I will just slap this one in, it'll be fine. Who cares about organ uh, rejection or type matching or any of this other stuff, right? Like, what what's what's actual science? What do we need that for? We have comic book science. Oh, you just drop you just drop it in there. It's fine. <laughs> Which speaking of comic book science, uh, Cass- because Cassie's been hanging around with her dad, she's been messing around with the PEM particles, and she's had stuff in her system. So now it's in her heart, and now it's in Darren Cross. And because that happened, it he started uncontrollably shrinking and growing. And he had to have made for him a sort of containment suit. And this was the yellow jacket suit that he got created for him. Um, making him the third iteration of the yellow jacket. Currently, Comic Book Cross is alive and kicking, being a thorn in everyone's side. So, you know, he's got that going for him at least. Unlike his movie counterpart. <laughs> he did. Uh, he's something. I think he wishes he was dead. <laughs> um, we'll discuss that later. Um, next, Cassie Lang. Introduced in the same issue as uh, Darren Cross here. Cassie had a bad heart as well. She was a very sickly child. and It's one, it's one of the reasons why comic book Lang went into crime to begin with. He wasn't making enough to cover the medical expenses. And so he started stealing money to help pay for his sick child. That was also a retcon. He was originally doing it because he wasn't getting enough kicks at his old job. But thankfully they decided to retcon that into a much more altruistic view. Anyway, her, her with her condition kind of deteriorating after Scott, even though after Scott got out, her condition wasn't getting any better. And so he knew where Hank Pym kept the Ant-Man stuff, because he had gotten a job as a janitor with the Avengers. And so he 
broke in, stole it all, and started down the rabbit hole of becoming a superhero. That's how that happens. So we will see more of Miss Lang in the later movies. But speaking of Scott, Scott Lang, a.k.a. Ant-Man, introduced in The Avengers number 181 in March 1979 as Scott Lang and as Ant-Man and in the aforementioned uh, issues. Like I said, he was an electrical engineer, turned to crime to pay for the medical bills, but Scott's reformed. He's a good guy. He did some bad things, but he wants to make good in the world. And then he becomes, he has the opportunity to become the new Ant-Man, as Hank had gone on to become the first Yellow Jacket, leaving behind all the assorted history of both Ant-Man and Giant-Man and Goliath. <laughs> anyway, uh, he would go on to serve in the role of Ant-Man until uh, 2005's Avengers Disassemble, holding the role for far longer than the original. Now, I'm not going to spoil uh, that book for anyone who hasn't read it yet. Like, even though we gave you a spoiler warning, even though it's nearly 20 years old, because it is that good, and it kickstarts so many of the storylines that you know from Marvel Comics. So, if you have the opportunity to get a hold of it, read it. That's all I'm really going to say on it. Now, for the enigmatic man himself, Hank Pym. Introduced in Tales to Astonish number 27 in January 1962 as Dr. Hank Pym and as Ant-Man in Tales to Astonish number 35 in September 1962 by Stan Lee, Larry Lieber, and Jack Kirby. Now, regular exposure to the Pym particles eventually gave him his size-changing abilities without the need of his costume, but for a long time, he would pop these pills. <laughs> it's very awkward. Like, it was very awkward to watch, but he would pop uh, growth, you know, the growth pill or the shrinking pill to do stuff, and he had to time it just right so that the action of the sequence could, you know, go on. So it was very, it it was very 60s. It was very 60s. That's, this poor man's guts have got to be just ruined from all the pills. <laughs> I mean, if not his guts, definitely his brain, because he has a problematic character history. That includes the creation of Ultron and physically assaulting his now ex-wife, Janet. At some point, like right before the Yellow Jacket thing happened, he got exposed to more chemicals and it affected his brain chemistry. Though later, they may, they also tried to kind of retcon over all of it to say that he, he might have had some like schizophrenic you know, personality problem. That he was never really okay to begin with. Or that Pym, the Pym particle exposures has also messed with his head enough that he, he just wasn't okay. And maybe he was never okay. With all the retconning going on, it's hard to really know where Hank is in a mental state. Like, who he was. And all you can really do is read the comics and kind of come to your own conclusion as to the kind of man he is or was. With all of that baggage, I can see why he was not included in the initial, like, lineup, even though he was a founding Avenger. He was one of the first five. Him and the Wasp. But, you know, we don't have a Wasp. We don't have an Ant-Man. Instead, we got Black Widow and Hawkeye. They're, they're kind of animal-related. It's fine. <laughs> I mean, 
Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Well, we've got we've got him now. We've got him now. It is what it is. This is true. That really, you know, that all really kind of sums up my character, like deep dives or whatever into here. Um, do you have any final thoughts, Shanko? Not, not really. There, you've said it before that there are worse places to be than the middle ground, and I'd say that this one is slightly above the middle ground because it was a really good time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't. Like I said, I don't think anyone puts it in their top 10, but I don't think it hits less than the top 15 for most people. Better than the last three X-Men films we judged through. <laughs> uh, mm, there's a lot better than the uh, several X-Men movies we just did. That's fair. That's, again, it's not a very high bar. <laughs> no, the bar is very low, but where does the bar travel to next week, Psych? Uh, I believe next week... Um, we go, I think we're heading out of the cosmos again. We gotta catch up with some Guardians. Ooh, very exciting. I'm looking forward to it. Indeed. So, until then, have a nice night, and good night, everyone. Night, everyone. As we all know, when it comes to making a movie, there are a lot of people working behind the scenes to make that movie magic happen. And it is no different when making a podcast. Welcome to the credit section of the MCU Lorecast. Captain Shanko and I would like to personally thank the following for their incredibly hard work and faith in us to get this podcast rolling. Tom, the head of the Robots Radio Network, for hosting and mentoring. N7 Legend of the Mass Effect Lorecast for inspiration. Genesis and Vervada of the Two Girls One Ship podcast for introducing us. Let's Not, a fellow tabletop gamer and friend for the amazing artwork. Pipe Men, a veteran and friend for the outstanding music. Our significant others for believing in and supporting us through this. And you, our fans, without whom this would be a vanity project. Let us know how we're doing by leaving us a review on Apple or a rating on Spotify. And to quote Stan the Man, enough said. Hi, I'm Aaron. And I'm Ariel. And we're the hosts of the Legend of Zelda Lorecast, a podcast about all things Legend of Zelda, from Errol to Zora. And all the fun things in between. If you're ready to dive deep and learn more about the Legend of Zelda lore and everything surrounding it, Come join us on Legend of Zelda Lorecast. You can find us on Apple iTunes, Spotify, Google, or wherever else you get your podcasts. We hope to see you soon.